Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of Double DM Podcast, where we are today talking about creating layers for your villains and legendary monsters that they deserve. Because let's be real, sometimes layers are just lackluster. So let's make better ones. And that is what we're going to talk about today. But first, as every week, we are here to discuss what happened in this week for Niels and me, TTRPG-wise and also general life-wise. Because this is a talk show, we want you to get comfortable, we want you to sit down, grab a drink and enjoy the conversations had. Not just get information and advice, advice, advice. Um, that's boring. So let me ask the first question. Niels, how are you doing today? I am doing amazingly today. Fucking amazingly? Finally. I think yeah. in 135 episodes of Double DM, I have never heard Neil say amazingly today. Mm -hmm. I asked him how his day was. So why is that? Well, there are a couple of layers to this. First of, <laughs> all, <laughs> uh, first of all, I just got paid, so I have money again. That's amazing, right? And second, uh, second of all is last weekend, I started redecorating my flat a bit. Mm -hmm. And my... My balcony and my bedroom are done now. And next week, I am looking to redecorate a bit of my living room and uh, office space kind of thingamajig. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can finally have more friends over and sit around at a table and not just uh, at a sofa because that was a little cramped here in this room. So I will get a new table uh, for people to sit at. And I have some paintings slash pictures slash posters that I want to hang up and a bit of decoration and just, yeah. Fill the right? room up a bit. Yeah, and I I exactly. get what you Just mean. I get what you mean. After two years or three years of living here, I, I thought, well, it, it's time to decorate a bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> Better late than never. I, I get what you mean, though, it's, right, especially when money's tight. Decorating mm -hmm. the room, decorating the living space isn't necessarily on the to-do list or on the priority list. Exactly. Same for me. I read. I still have the idea to, to make my living room a, a very cozy area that is great for TTRPGs, but also to just hang out with friends. But it's, it's supposed to have the vibe of you're entering a place where magic happens. Okay, that sounds entirely wrong. Yeah, but well, I get what you mean. But maybe, I mean, I'm open to all forms of magic here. Okay, so you've been decorating your rooms or your flat a bit or, re or changing it up a bit. So did you have time for TTRPGs between all that? Yes, I did. On Tuesday, I had my usual Tuesday session. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was basically just talking. I think we had only two dice rolls in four hours, but it was more of a character's um, interacting with each other and asking questions about uh, a quest that they were on while my character was busy uh, crafting shit. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just basic talks, basic stuff. No, but it, uh, it was a lot of fun. And the things that I or my character built turned out pretty good. What did you build? What did you build? I built a magical plate armor out of sea dragon scales for mm -hmm. our paladin and i built a magical collapsing compound bow for our arcane archer fighter that mm -hmm. now kind of can shoot a fireball arrow but in a smaller radius but with force damage kind of thing <laughs> so it had nothing to do with fireball it's just aoe force damage yeah but yeah 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 
Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, no. A quick mini double DM episode here. Quick question to you, Niels. You you just said, right, it, it was a great session, blah. Um, it was basically just talking. We only had two dice rolls, right? Why do you think that the amount of dice rolls, especially if it's low, is something that not just you, but everyone, I do it too, is something that we brag about in the TTRPG space, especially D&D, right? Because there are games that only call for two dice rolls in four hours, usually. But D&D obviously calls for a lot more. So why do we take it as an achievement to have that little dice rolls at the game? Because I think, at least in my group, it feels like um, we are all so in sync or in uh, doing or proficient in doing what we want to do or in playing our characters uh, the way that we all want them to without just um, talking only in third person um, of my character does this, my character does that, but being more descriptive, just having a talk with your fellow characters. I think this is a thing that isn't as prominent in D&D. Just but, having heart-to-heart talks with your fellow characters, um, or at least not in the rules. There, there are no rules for that. Mm-hmm. But it furthers um, character development, at least in my opinion, in a big way. I, I know the reasons what it does and how it works, but why do we take it as a point to break? Why is this something that we w- want to be celebrated for? I, I don't know. Th- th- that right, That's the question. Because mm-hmm. I know why w- when you have a session that doesn't roll that much dice, it's often more role-play focused in a game where role play has no roles attached and that's okay at least to some degree you, you mm-hmm. could argue that that's not but that's a real ddm episode maybe but right because right i i always see right when there's discourse online on twitter or reddit and and people are talking about something there's always if it is applicable some kind of person that goes yeah my tables usually don't roll that many dice and it's supposed to be an accomplishment it's an achievement it's a it's a positive thing and yeah, it is. But why do you want it to be a positive thing? Like, isn't it just a neutral thing? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I, I think it is. Yeah, um, but, but why do we say it then? <laughs> yeah, I, just because it's not the norm. Just because it's not the usual thing. But doesn't that mean that you think you're better than other people for le- rolling less dice? No, I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't say that. Just that it's different. It's not better or worse or anything. It's just different. But you do have a need to tell everyone that you rolled less dice. Because let's be real, I've never heard someone say, in my sessions, you roll more dice than the average table. I've never heard someone say that. Mm. So there must be a reason why we think it, that it's a thing to present that we roll less dice at our tables at given points. Right? This is obviously not a critique at, at you, mm. how you present or your table. I hope you know that, right? But it's just yeah, a I question know. that I asked myself a number of times every time I see someone talk about, right? Oh, I just had a D&D session for five, four, five hours and we all only Robert and rolled not a single dice and I'm like yeah that's cool but why is that so noteworthy because I had no one's go yeah we just had a five hour D&D session a big BBEG comment and we rolled so many dice mm-hmm. I've never had someone go that direction and I'm just asking myself why yeah th- that's an interesting question I-, I don't know I don't necessarily need an answer right but, but it's something that yeah. I realized that I don't care how many dice are rolled in a session it just doesn't matter the dice the amount of dice rolls happened in the session is not an indicator at all for how good the session was for me. So I think, like, personally, right, it's never... In, when, when I hear someone say, well, we only rolled two dice, 
it's never a moment where I go like, okay, that's cool or that's bad. I just go, okay, cool. I just throw that information away because it isn't necessary to me. You just peaked basically with yeah. your with your sentence that I've been thinking about for a long time, but didn't really think that that's, that's an episode worth of DDM because I don't know the psychological meaning behind why we think that this is an accomplishment or not. Because yeah. I've had this, I've said the same thing, right? Boah, cool, the session was so amazing and we rolled so ma so little dice and, I was, and then after after I was like, wait, why does it matter? The circumstances of your session are the things calling for your dice rolls. So the dice rolls is just an just a numeral, just a numeric indicator for circumstances at your table. But we all know that the numerous different circumstances can lead to the same outcome. So the we only rolled two dice rolls at my table could mean first of all we only role played, but it also could mean right our session only, but but also could also mean right we out of those four hours, three hours was spent outside character just doing dumb shit at the table mm -hmm. the yep. indicator would be the same there were only two dice rolls Mm -hmm. The less dice rolls happen at your table, it often is an indicator for there's more roleplay, there's more character development, where there are no dice rolls in D&D. &D. Exactly. Uh, it, it, that's just where I'm coming from, uh, yeah. from my experience, at least in most games that I've played in. The less dice rolls we had, the more in-character talks with other characters we had. Yeah. And m maybe that's the reason where, uh, why... I'm quote unquote bragging about this. That that I think that's actually exactly where it is, right? Because the talk is about D and D, and D and D doesn't have dice rolls for roleplay. Yeah. So when you say we've rolled a little dice, it is supposed to say we roleplayed a lot. And yeah. that is supposed to be an achievement because for a, for a big chunk of people, and I would say myself included to at least some extent, TTRPGs are about storytelling. Hell yeah. They don't have to be. Mm -hmm. They are for a lot of people because that's what they want from them and that's okay. And then the indicator of we rolled very little dice in a game that does not call dice for storytelling and roleplaying is obviously an indicator for we roleplayed a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted from the game. So it's a positive thing. But yeah. therefore, it is a positive thing. And it's a thing to brag that you only had two dice rolls, even though I think it would be better when you brag, when you say in our D&D session, we had amazing role play and character development instead of we had only two dice rolls. Yeah. Right? It would make more sense that way. But obviously yeah. naming the oh only two sounds cooler than the long we explanation of we had character yeah. development and role play and to be fair i really like hearing numbers in, in <laughs> yeah. certain degrees so yeah. saying we only had two dice rolls is way more interesting at least to me or to my ears than hearing mm. we had a lot of role play because what is <laughs> yeah. a lot cool give me some quantity of shit that, that's maybe the um scientific thing that dnd doesn't have a measure for role play yeah and you need to measure it some way to make it more palpable for other people that yeah. are only hearing about your game and have not experienced it i had a session on tuesday for example where my players basically committed crimes everyone understands it. that but i cannot tell you about <laughs> the crimes first of all because it's an actual play recording second ah. of all because the specific circumstances called for it and i think that's actually right it's kind of fun to think about yeah. but breaking that discussion off you had an amazing session that's all that counts exactly it was about role play it was about crafting some items so let me ask the question because i've rudely broken off your story where does it lead now what is the next big thing for your group the next big thing is um doing a job for our paladin who nearly broke her oath kind of restoring that pact yeah just mending some potential break 
breaking points in that um, oath. So th that's where we are headed next. Mm -hmm. And after that, uh, we are going to go towards the hometown of my character because near that there is a, or, or we found a map that near there is a mountain, which I don't remember being there. Some sort of weird ancient history shit is going on there yeah i'm pretty or i'm intrigued and my character is also fucking intrigued mm. because uh, archaeologists dig ancient stories i guess <laughs> they dig indeed <laughs> okay nice interesting yeah. but how was your week Overall, TTRPG wise, tell me about it. My week's been great. Was very chill. I had stuff to do, so I also wasn't bored. I've already have done a lot of editing for Double DM, and now the latter part of the week is basically all TTRPGs. Today, tomorrow, Sunday. Perfect. Perfect. Saturday is a little rest day where I'm actually going out to a restaurant to mm -hmm. celebrate my grandmother's birthday. So it is promising to be. A great end of the week already. Perfect. So, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, yeah, I have nothing else to share. And Me neither. Yeah. So let's jump into our episode on layers and especially creating actually good layers or layers. Hey, listener, how are you enjoying the show so far? Tell us about it in whatever way you see fit. Go to our social media pages and add us or DM us about your favorite episode of the show. We would love to hear from you on what impact our show might have had on your home games. Or you could review us on your podcast app of choice and leave us a nice message with a five-star review. And if you want to go above and beyond, bring a friend into the fold. Tell them about our show and refer us to them so they can get a piece of the pie as well. Thank you for listening to Double DM and joining us on this incredible journey. Uh, so, Emil, recently I had this uh, one shot with this big dr uh, red dragon that uh, I ran for my players. And then I asked myself, what... I'm Wait. so sorry, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Because normally, right, you classify dragons by age. A young adult, adult, great worm, blah, blah, blah. I think that we should classify them by chunkiness. <laughs> big. This yeah. dragon was big red dragon. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, but yeah, okay, yeah, it was a, it was an it was an ancient great worm, whatever it was, it was big dragon, a big old chunker, yeah. Uh, obviously, ancient great worm has its own lair, obviously, right? It has, it has to, yeah. It's just a given. And the thing is, with that, I ask myself, what makes some room or some space a lair, and what makes a great lair stand out? And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today mm -hmm. just right out of the gate what is a layer or what class of what makes a space a layer rather than just an open space so i think that this question is already kind of a big one but to okay. break it down personally for me it is a space where this creature that you are fighting chasing or have come to clash with mm -hmm. feels at home mm -hmm. not necessarily feels at home but is at an advantage this is where it is fighting best. You've ventured into the den of the lion, you ventured into the mouth of the dragon, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You ventured into a place where this creature has the unmistakable advantage over you when looked 
at the combat mm. or when looked at generally everything. And that can be something that, for example, right, for uh, at least in D&D terms, right, some ancient great beings like dragons, beholders, I think, too, yeah. legendary creatures have layers that they can use. Um, but at the same time, who's to say that a little owl bear was challenge rating four, I think, hasn't also some kind of layer where they're feeling stronger, where they have an advantage on you. It doesn't necessarily have to be right. They have layer actions. But generally, just talking about a layer is for me, this is a place where whatever calls this place home has an advantage over everyone else mm. that doesn't. And that can be mechanical or maybe also necessarily not mechanical, mm. uh, whatever that may be. But it's just a place for this creature to be at an advantage and also to feel kind of safe because yeah. of those advantages. Yeah, I think a big part for me when talking about layers is that it needs not necessarily only a sense of familiarity, but knowing everything there, uh, that there is to know about this place. When you're talking about a layer of great worm this great worm mm -hmm. knows every nook and cranny everything there is to know about this place knows every hiding spot that they could possibly be in everything yeah. and just that is not only a sense of fami familiarity but just pure knowledge of everything that is this place or once was yeah and i mean th that's one of the fun things right they know everything about this place mm -hmm. and i mean when most people think of lairs they think of i don't know a dragon's lair a big cave in a mountain uh, that this dragon has decorated in whatever way to see fit to fit their heart. But at the end of the day, a layer is just a place. Mm. It can also be a building. And I mean, when you uh, have dungeons in your world, for example, they have been built by someone for some purpose. That someone that has built these dungeons to serve a certain purpose would call these dungeons their layer, maybe. Mm. Uh, an ancient lich that has built a dungeon to protect their wisdom on death, undeaf, and life. They've built that place hmm. to fit them. They've yeah. built that place to their advantage. It's not just a cave that they know. It's a place that they've made hmm. their... It's a place that they've made their lair. And I think that's where the fun part lies with layers is the creature you are chasing, fighting, wanting to talk to, interact with, this place you're in currently has been made to be perfect for them hmm. by them yeah uh, a big part is modification yeah yeah they made it themselves to be perfect that, mm. that doesn't say that it's actually a perfect layer because this creature could have flaws right if if yeah. a dragon is very vain and arrogant their layer might reflect that but that also could be a potential weakness that players can exploit so and that's where i think the first part of creating layers comes from is look at the creature you do you're taking you have to at every step anyway mm -hmm. but find out what this creature wants from their layer. Yeah. Is it supposed to protect them or something? Is it supposed to present them or something, right? A, a dragon doesn't necessarily need a layer to defend themselves against invaders if the dragon always believes that he's going to fight off any invader anyway. Hmm. But then he would still need a layer to present his massive amounts of gold that he ravaged from the villages below of the mountain pass or something. Yeah. And I think everything that there is in a layer should in some way reflect something that is this creature 
creature that lives there, being it a personality trait or a physical thing that this creature can do or can't do. Mm. But the lair should reflect that and play into these um, or into their own strength most of the time. It definitely has to work with the creature and exactly. not just the stat block and the mechanics of that creature, but also how you play that creature. For example, something I did a long time ago at this point, um, my players had to fight a Rofafor, the white old deaf or the old white deaf in the sea of moving eyes in one of his many layers. And now that's the thing, many layers, right? He had mm. more than just one. But this one layer, right, he was sleeping in it for currently. And he is a hunter. He enjoys the thrill of hunting his enemies, of tasting their blood before they fall before him. He's not an efficient killer. He wants to have fun. His layer actions, for example, reflected that. They weren't, oh, I'm gonna kill you. They were obscuring vision, creating obstacles, something that would make the chase more fun. And he wanted the player characters to flee. He wanted them to run away. And when he created a fog cloud that obscured vision and froze the air around the player characters, right? He wanted them to get into disadvantageous positions. Hmm. He didn't want necessarily to kill them with the ice fog. No, he wanted them to suffer. He wanted them to move. He wanted them to flee. Hmm. Because that would satisfy his hunter's thrill, his hunter's lust. And that's what he wanted. He doesn't didn't he didn't want to just kill. At first at least. When he then realized that the players were actually formidable foes for him, he got to fighting way more quickly. He hmm. became much more dangerous because he didn't hold back anymore. Or at least because he stopped or he suppressed his hunger for a thrillful hunt and said, no, I just need to kill you. I can hunt later again. Hmm. Or at least I kill enough of you so the rest runs away. And the way that this lair is built or was built by Arathathor reflected that or that desire to do so. With the I mean abilities or things that Rothothor could do in that or within that space. Kinda. I, I'm gonna say it the way it is. That layer was one of many, right? That's what I said mm -hmm. before. It's one of many. And he had many layers and Rothothor, as a hunter, didn't really design his layers to be the place where he fights. They are designed to be places where he rests and eats. So this layer wasn't necessarily designed to uh, reflect his hunter personality because I said, well, no, he wouldn't even create a layer that would reflect that hunter in him because he wouldn't have a layer for that because he has many layers. And he, for example, he's one of the few dragons that actually divide their horde up into these many different layers. Most of these layers actions are, are there to basically protect the layer itself. Mm, okay. Okay, now I understand. Right? Hmm? It's still a purpose designed for that layer. That layer was supposed to be a place where he stores his valuables and rests before he hmm. flies off again. There were, for example, in the design of that layer, a lot of different ways to get out of this layer for him. There was an underwater tunnel, there was a flying hole in the ceiling, and a lot of different pathways through the caves for him. It gives him a lot of opportunities because this layer isn't supposed to be the indomitable fortress of a dragon where he can sit atop his 
throne of gold. Because this dragon is basically, he's a free spirit. He doesn't want to be pinned down in a place for too long. He needs a lot of ways to get out of this room because whatever way he feels like to do that day, he needs it. That's kind of how the layer was designed. And I think okay. that's important. Mm -hmm. When you design your monster layers, which you're gonna do at some certain points because your players are gonna venture into the layers of monsters and villains because that's what they do in heroic epic fantasy or sci-fi or heroic epic TTRPGs. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Need to put the layer in second place. It yeah. should be a grand thing, but you need the villain first. You cannot create a good layer without a villain to yeah, house it that, in. Exactly. And I think they not necessarily work in tandem, but without the villain, you can't have uh, the great layer. But when, when they are fighting the villain in this great layer, the layer should reflect or enhance the abilities of that creature or the person that you are fighting in that. Not necessarily in a purely mechanical way, but in a role-playing sense as well. For example, if mm. you're searching for a shapeshifter that's um, abducted a lot of people, blah, 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 and it turns out, yeah, this is, was all part of this big uh, theater thing, mm. or the, per uh, the person that did this was in or is hiding in the theater and now the mm. theater is basically their lair not necessarily because there's um, a lot of danger for the characters involved mechanically speaking mm. but because of the um, skills that this person has created can better maneuver this theater place and uh, knows exactly where to go and what to do to achieve the thing that they want to achieve and it has no necessarily mechanical influence on damage numbers or blah all of that but just because of the knowledge of this place and how everything there works they gain the upper hand mm -hmm. and not because they conjure an ice storm or suddenly there is a big crowd of people but because they know where the fucking banisters are what lever to pull and where to go and where are some side entrances or um, mm. workarounds to just outmaneuver them I, I really want to run such a lane I think a lot of people have that dream to run the theater layer some kind of theatrical villain that has grand speeches is kind of a little bit yeah. unhinged yeah this is amazing and basically just fools and shits on the players while basically ev evading attacks and yeah, yeah just hiding among the rough layers yes oh, yes yes but heavenly. it's also also very hard to do <laughs> it is, it is yes. very hard to do because you need to create a layer that works mm -hmm. because if your players are wanting to interact with it it should work i think that's the most that's a one important thing that i'm gonna talk about in a bit but first, right, I wanted to say something. You create your layer matching to that villain. Mm -hmm. So we said, right, uh, you create your layers uh, fitting towards your villains so that they can, so that the villain has an advantage when using them and just, right, it feels synergetical. I don't mm. know if that's a word. But at the same time, that also means that when you then present the layer, which often happens before you present the villain, the layer needs to present the villain for you. A villain that is arrogant and vain, a red dragon that is arrogant and vain, will maybe have statues of themselves, warning signs of slain corpses of the old adventurers that came before you, inscriptions on the walls that 
reflect the grand adventures of this person or in a i don't know in a in a in a theater in the theater example right um maybe this villain that you have is somehow a deranged clown right because that's a very fun trope for a lot of people with the joker and buggy the clown um from one piece well then you need to have i don't know the the deranged graffiti or makeup everywhere on statues in the halls before the players get to the ballroom or something the layer needs to introduce your villain for you or you need to yeah. introduce your villain with the layer obviously if your players already know the villain you don't need to introduce them but the layer needs to represent them and i think uh, the layer needs to introduce them to a, or in a new light they know the villain yeah if you're encountering the villain in the layer it not necessarily needs the to reintroduce the villain but introduce new sides or new aspects mm. to the villain because that's what the layer basically does it gives them advantages that you haven't seen before and just foreshadowing those with the descriptions of the layer itself or how the layer feels or works just makes it so much more fun when you then get to really use or interact with the villain itself it's just mm -hmm. a complete new level of amazing if you do that that's definitely what you're supposed to do because the villain is a reflection of this person right the same goes for you when you have your own house or home or flat yeah. or whatever right exactly it's a reflection of who you are as a person you decorate it the way you want it to be decorated if it's messy you're a messy person and hey i'm not here to criticize you if you have a dirty apartment <laughs> my apartment is definitely in need of more cleaning mm -hmm. right now and i'm probably gonna um, vacuum after this recording however when someone now enters my layer to <laughs> slay me they they would notice that this place is kind of messy this person must be this and this and whatever conclusion your players might draw from this it can be right or wrong you just need to show them yeah well this dragon doesn't really have that much of an organization structure to their horde for example it's all just one big pile yeah because that's always how it's represented but maybe there's a dragon that is actually very neatly organizing gold platinum silver copper coins and then diamonds magic items and I don't know, right? Um, yeah. Famous paintings. And that then is something that show, don't tell, right? Show your players this because they might not necessarily see that side of that villain in their interactions beforehand. Because one fun thing about your villains, even if they're not the 20 charisma bard, they do care about their appearances. And, and it's just a fact for your villain. The villain represents themselves how they want to be represented to people around them. Mm -hmm. And this goes for basically everything. Sure, there yeah. might be a few exceptions, but your villain is presenting themselves how they want to be presented when they are wanted to be perceived. When they stand on the grand stage and have their big speech about how the kingdom failed them and that people should return to the better ways of nature or whatever. The druid villain is gonna be presenting themselves in the best light that they can. However, when the players enter his grove or something, they might see a different new side because in this layer, this druid didn't think about having to present themselves in their best light at all times. Exactly. And um, with that, you can play with showing your players new sides of everything that mm -hmm. there is and showing new character traits to the villain that didn't um, occur in their usual or in quotation marks, normal confrontations mm -hmm. or get togethers. I don't know what uh, it depends on what type of villain you are running, obviously, mm -hmm. but 
if you have a more political intrigue, your players might encounter the villain more often just because of the nature. I don't know. And yeah. um, how they present themselves outside of the lair to the players is completely different. And then when they enter their base of operation, they see mm. notes and notebooks and paintings and basically this meme with the red string all over the all over yeah. the place and it just show, uh, introduces a new light or it shines a new light on the character mm -hmm. that you're using to maybe even force but encourage a change of heart for the players at some point maybe depending on what you want to do and what your villain is because if suddenly you can understand the motives behind that or because you showed them the motives mm -hmm. this is, um, it might change their perception of the person or the thing that you uh, the players are currently working actively against and then it's all just hypothetical and a thing that could happen depending on what type of villain you want run and how you want to run it but it's a possibility for you to do something along those lines yeah if you show them that this villain did all of this for this specific reason and your players might say yeah i, I can resonate with that but the way is wrong but we might yeah. be able to help each other out it just opens yeah. up new options for your players to interact and that's what all what ttrpgs are about interacting mm. with things Mm -hmm. reacting yeah. and acting based on the yeah. information that you have and interacting with objects, creatures, persons, and all of the world around you. And if mm -hmm. you introduce new things to the world to interact with, it just gets that much more deeper and more engaging because you have more <laughs> things to engage with. You add another layer to the layer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But what you just said is very important because that's what I wanted to talk about before but had to put down for a, few, for a minute or two in this recording is when you have your layer, especially when you have, for example, layer actions and you have the layer be a certain way that has, for example, traps or whatever mechanisms behind it, be that magical, mundane or just mechanical in the game sense. Give players a way to interact with that layer as well. For example, mm -hmm. the theater layer, which is a very cool layer that has a lot of levers and, and ropes and rafters and hidden passages and whatnot all. At first, your villain might understand these mechanisms perfectly at yeah. all times. But when your characters, when, when, when a wizard um, or a high intelligence character says, can I spend an action to make an investigation check to understand the mechanisms of these ropes strung across stage? Give them the opportunity to. Hell Give yeah. your players the chance to look at the layer, understand it, maybe not necessarily use it to the effectiveness of the villain that uses this layer. Because let's be real, it is supposed to be a location where your players are at a disadvantage because of that layer. And mm -hmm. I think that's a fact that you can accept. You don't need to necessarily completely level the playing field. But when one of your players asks, is there a way for me to use this certain thing, how the villain has used it against the villain? And now yep. this is a split second call. It depends on the layer you're currently designing. But yes, yes, mm -hmm. if you if you have, I don't know, four levers on a wall and the, the villain knows what each one of these four does and pulls the one that pulls them up to the rafters so they are out of range for spells and can basically continue insulting the players as they get away. When when the barbarian runs up to the ropes and just pulls one of the levers and falls through the floor, that's funny. But when after that, the artificer pulls another lever and the same thing happens, that's not fun. Mm -hmm. The artificer player probably went, okay, you pulled that lever, so I'm not gonna 
pull that one, pull this one and hope for a different effect. Or maybe I even did an investigation check beforehand and know the second lever is going to give me something that is maybe going to get me up there or even cut off the escape route of this villain. So I'm going to pull that lever. And then the the layer is not designed for just the villain. It is designed to be still a place for interaction to happen. And when combat happens, as with D&D at least is mostly the case, give your players the same way the villain uses the layer to Mm. be used. For example, in the Arathothor layer, one of the layer actions, which he used the least because it was the least fun for me, was the option to let ice picks rain down from the ceiling Mm. and hit three different creatures. Now, that meant that the ceiling was full of ice picks. No big deal there, right? When then one of my players goes, can I, with my Eldritch Blast, shoot one of these ice picks above the dragon to hit him? I went, sure, Hmm. try it. Make this attack roll. The AC isn't high, but you need to at least make this amount of damage with your blast. Let that thing fall. And then I'm going to make an attack roll against the dragon, how the layer action would do it. Hmm. Plus nine to hit this amount of damage, blah, blah, blah. The players obviously took a little bit more of cold damage because these ice picks dealt cold and piercing damage. And the dragon is immune to cold damage, but he still took the piercing damage because the warlock player went, the ice picks deal more damage than my Eldritch blasts do on average Mm. so why don't i just try to hit the ice picks yeah i was like that's a cool idea and it sounds cinematic as fuck to do that oh hell yeah so hell yeah let's do it that only works if i as a gm allow things to happen for my players because they absorb what is the layer around them Mm. and try to make it to their advantage and that's what your layer is about it is supposed to be an advantage for the villain but it is still basically an environment that can be turned around. Yeah, and regarding that, that is something that you have to keep in mind, that when this happens, how does the villain react to those things? That's yeah. also really a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just, yeah, I um, uh, the ancient red great worm has the yeah. power to let lava, uh, lava erupt from the earth. That's something the players might not be able to do necessarily, but it depends on how and blah, 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 you know, all of the stuff. It's a thing that depends, right? If one of your, for example, for me, it's always the thing, I'm not going to say to my players, you also can do this. And exactly. this might be a problem and might be a problem in the game design or something or of the design of my sessions. But generally, if my players ask me, is there a way for me to trigger that molten lava myself? And mm. I go, you're a fire genasi, draconic bloodline red dragon. You're basically all fire. Sure, make an arcana check. Yeah, and then just imagine the face of the dragon that they are fighting when they are not the ones pulling lava from the earth. Yeah. It just just might be able to shake them off their game to give you or level the playing field a bit more. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily by dealing damage or harming the creature directly, but by Mm -hmm. just tripping them up mentally. Just push them off their game and force your own rhythm onto them rather than being forced into rhythm by the creature that you are fighting mm. which is in um, in fights a really big thing momentum in general and in the lair the villain usually has the momentum because of all the things that we discussed before what the lair does for the villain and if your characters change that dynamic up a bit that can be a lot of fun mm. that can, can be a lot a lot of fun trust me try it out it's amazing just when your players say yeah I, i'll pull that lever i don't know exactly what it does but this lever pulls you up to the um rafters as well and suddenly the villain doesn't know if you figured out the mechanism or not and all of that it's just <clears throat> it just adds another layer of depth to the layer <laughs> yeah. That you can exploit as a table to get more fun out of it. One thing, and I know the system is 
not controversial, but has been discussed in TTRPG spaces a lot for its flaws and things that are wrong with it, blah, 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 blah. But I've played for one of my birthdays in a 7th, 7th C 2nd second edition adventure with my friend group. And this is a game about being audacious pirates on an adventure. And basically everything you're doing is supposed to be cool as fuck. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I swing from the chandelier to, to the rafters up top, then jump out of the window backwards and f grab a flag uh, that is hanging outside to uh, rope myself down to the ground and then escape. That's what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be these cool... The thing that has been mainstreamed by the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, basically. Mm -hmm. Right? That that type of the combat, that type of escape, that type of action generally. The, the right? classic swashbuckling action. The classic weirdness. swashbuckling action. I talk from that that um, the system is great. I love it. I, have, I had a lot of fun with my players because I think at the end of the day, most of my friends play TTRPGs to do cool things. Yeah. And this game lets you say, I swing from the top of the mast with a rope so I can hit the giant kraken that has his tentacles around our ship. And I basically just swing like a pendulum around and then hit it with my greatsword. And I'm like, how do you hold the rope? I don't care. You hold it with your teeth. I don't give a fuck. That is completely something that when you put too much mechanics on it, just would get too watered down and too weird, too abstract into math. It just happens because it's cool as fuck. Or yeah. you make a simple role that says, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. This just works. But I took from that that um, when my players um, have cool ideas, work with them. Something that is very, very basic and, and has been said a thousand times by us and everyone else. Yes and anyway. Oftentimes, I think the yes and when people give that advice kind of is restricted to the role play side. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when your players want to interact with the mechanics of the game, and this is now something, right? For example, D&D &D does not allow you to. D&D &D doesn't allow the players to use layer actions the way the monsters do. And that's okay, right? On initiative count 20, this monster can do one of these three things with the layer. That's fucking cool. Mm -hmm. One of your players on their turn says, can I use this layer action or can I use something along the lines of this layer action because this is how I imagine the layer, blah, 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 blah. Oftentimes, you could say just no because mm -hmm. it's not supposed to work for you this way. However, you can say, yeah, sure, let's figure this out somehow. I think those layers where the players are able to figure out the layer and actually engage with it are just ultimately more fun. Hell yeah. Because they allow the players... As you've said before in this episode, we've said countless times, and I think everyone knows, it's just more fun when your players are actually able to understand what's happening around them. Just telling them, yeah, there are three portals opening up and boom, explosions come out and then they close. Yeah, cool. That that That's cool for one time thing. Mm. And then when your players go, okay, how does it work? And you say, I don't know. Like, sure, you you can say that because sometimes you as a GM just do not know. When the players want to work with this stuff, mm. give them a opportunity to. Yeah. If they don't take it or if they roll too bad on the roll that you assign to this, that's just how the game works. At least a possibility is there. That's where we want to be at. Mm. Give your players the possibility to engage with the layer of a villain in more meaningful ways than, I hope this ice pick from the ceiling doesn't hit my AAC. Because let's be real, how, where is the fun in, I hope the GM doesn't roll high enough? 
and I think overall layers can excel in that if you are or if you play a style of game where this is what your whole group wants to interact with more of these things yeah can elevate your games to a completely new level and I think mm. one thing that you uh, when you run something along those lines is that you should think about is that uh, the layer itself should change something up in a way not necessarily in a purely mechanical way but changing the environment itself by sticking to the theater uh, example opening up just the orchestra pit the floor just moves out of the way to open up the orchestra pit it then just mm -hmm. changes the battlefield or it changes something up that you now have to work with or in a red dragon's lair the floor suddenly starts getting hotter and hotter every turn and just changing th something up to keep everyone on their toes even though it uh, these things might not necessarily be actively introduced by your villain or by the players themselves just because the world mm. around them moves as well is a lot of fun mm. and i think that's what layers should do is change something up and continue to do so to be interesting yeah we did an episode on environment design for combats i think mm. where we also briefly talked about layer actions and how they are supposed to be part of that environmental design. Go listen to that for sure when you want to figure out more on how to especially design the combat encounter inside a layer. But I think at the same time, a layer should be more than just for combat encounters. Yeah, And, and oh, I mean, yeah. for D&D, it's a hard thing because as we've said countless of times, the game is a combat simulator that lets you build your story that is then broken up by combat segments. Mm -hmm. Obviously, your layer should, and I'm gonna say it, first and foremost, be a combat thing. It should be combat compatible, especially when you design it for a game that is combat heavy, like D&D yeah. or Pathfinder. If your villain isn't combat focused, if your villain's layer hasn't something special for combat, I think it's gonna feel a little bit just like flavor. And I am not here to say that just flavor is bad. You need a lot of flavor and a lot of stuff in your food, in your games and stuff everywhere. Hmm. However, you can do a lot more than just flavor. Yeah. And that's what you want to do. But you also need that flavor. And for that flavor, you once again look to your villain. And I think you look at your villain, try to write down three core things. Personality traits, aesthetics, and mm. um, something that basically vibe. Yeah. Write down those three things for your villain. And then look how you can incorporate each in your layer. The personality is how it's presented. Or especially that villain's certain touch mm. is what this layer is about, right? What makes this layer as explicitly for this villain. The um, vibe is more just the general feeling that, and I think it's the layer shouldn't just reflect that villain's vibe. It should be an amplification of that vibe. Hell yeah. A lot, Hell, a yeah. lot of amplification. Because that way you make your players feel like they are venturing into the den of a dragon or mm. the lair of a lion, right? Mm. That way you make your players feel like this place is designed specifically against them and specifically for this villain you need some kind of aesthetic to describe the layer whatever your aesthetic is right the layer should explicitly show that aesthetic if your villain is a druid um, and their aesthetic is whatever you call it nature core right and now it's simple and now it's a simple example their layer shouldn't just be a brick and mortar building it should be i don't know a forest it could be a whole fucking forest right your, your layer just doesn't have to be just one battlefield it can be a whole area that is controlled and i think the bigger the area the stronger your villain or rather the stronger your villain the more influence 
on a bigger scale they should have. Yeah, I think something along those lines is pretty uh, well displayed in games like Cyberpunk Red or Shadowrun, in, uh, or at mm -hmm. least in the aesthetic and uh, vibe and feel of the layers. Because when you're fighting a big corpo exec, then you're fighting in, for example, Arasaka Tower. The yeah. Arasaka Tower is the layer. It has many layers to it, is very complex and captures the vibe of that thing in combination of the aesthetic and the personality traits of your villain themselves. The security systems are top-notch, completely designed to be dangerous. The tower is a maze if you don't know where to go. Exactly, and it's just completely slick and clean and no funny knickknacks or weirdness. It's all just clean, clean slates for you to get lost in and die in, basically. Or the yeah. same thing goes for cyberspace. When you're in there hacking this whole building, the build or the net defenses themselves reflect the same thing. When you hack a um, thing from a street gang, it will not be as clean and as immaculate as the Tower of Arasaka. It might have the same security on a game mechanic level, but just through the vibe and the way mm -hmm. it works, it just com is completely different. And therefore you have to check up on what the uh, layer is supposed to do, what your mm -hmm. villain is, and then reference each other to make it fit together. Symbiotic relationship, basically. And I think now that you mentioned symbiotic, I'm gonna be the type of person that I always been. What if it's a parasitic relationship? You have, a, you have a layer yeah. that is a certain place that is being perverted to the point of complete and utter unrecognizability by this villain. Hell yeah. And, and 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 that is then once again because we've been talking mostly on the meta level here exactly. the villain should then also be this parasitic thing something this that doesn't right works I don't know, yeah. your, your aberrations, which is, my opinion, a very underrated monster category in D&D. &D. Hmm. Nightmares beyond comprehension. Things from outer space that no one understands. They don't belong in this place. And it should feel like it. Yep. An aberrations layer should feel like it's a place that was once something else that has been corrupted to the point of unrecognizability by this aberration. It has been perverted into something different. It is disgusting. It is completely unsettling. And it's complete horrifying Yeah, what and, you hear. And this is the thing that you mentioned in amplifying the vibe of the villain that you're, that you're yeah. using the layer for. Because that, that's really important. Not just how the uh, layer itself feels, but how this yeah. feel interacts with everything around it. And when your players enter this aberrations layer, there should be a chill on their spine, on the player's spine. Or on the character yeah. spine, rather. Yeah. This is just the amazing thing that you can do with layers because you can add layers to your uh, to your villains, to the characters mm -hmm. that you as the GM play, yeah. to create and enhance and amplify exactly these feelings that you're trying to evoke. Uh, and especially with these weird type of creatures like aberrations, outer world shit, mm -hmm. you can just do weird shit, just mm -hmm. completely out of the box. Something that yeah. hasn't been said before, hasn't been explained before, mm -hmm. and use contradictions terms to then still make sense in that regard but it's something unknown to everyone so mm -hmm. it's weird and creepy or the exactly other way around it's mm -hmm. completely sterile and calculated cool calm but there's still something mm -hmm. you can still mm -hmm. feel the energy of that place i mean you really want to nail down the tone you want to mm -hmm. convey with 
the villain and their lair to create an actual great lair. Yeah. Because lairs don't just have to be big caves. Why did this dragon choose this big cave? Always ask yourself the question, why? Why mm -hmm. specifically this? Does it hold sentimental values? Does it hold strategic values? Ask yourself this why, because you have this great villain and their lair just doesn't reflect that. It's gonna subtract from the experience. If mm -hmm. Strat von Zarovich doesn't have Castle Ravenloft be the gothic fortress of madness of a vampire lord that it is supposed to be, it's never gonna be fun to fight Strahd in Castle Ravenloft. Exactly. Because it's always just gonna be, yeah, this is a castle. No, it is not just the castle. This vampire who has lived eons lives here. This castle is his playground. This castle is his prison. Mm -hmm. Showcase that. When he invites the players in, make it seem at first at, as if it's this romanticized castle where a normal lord and his hopeful wife live. Then let's form cracks in that armor. Then showcase them the darkness of the corridors here. The horrors in the basements. The screams echoing through the halls at midnight. Distant, distant organ, church organ sounds playing. And that, that's something that I completely love for a special type of villain or most types of villains that I use is to show the lair as a perfect thing or imagine a mm. perfect piece of plate armor as <laughs> yeah. the lair, just as a uh, simile. And then you the first time you see this lair, mm -hmm. this armor, it's immaculate. There is not a spot on it. You can reflect yourself in it. It's perfect. And then through the time that they are spent in this lair, you basically just push the fast forward button a couple of hundred years and see mm -hmm. cracks forming, dust settling, rust building, mm -hmm. and all of that then shines through. Then you have the comparison to what it is now or how it feels now to the moment just 30 mm -hmm. or 30 seconds or a half an hour before where it was just perfect, clean and immaculate. Mm -hmm. And then therefore show the influence that the villain had on this space not mm -hmm. necessarily just in a corrupting parasitic or symbiotic way but just how it turned out to be or how the villain is or in uh, Strat's case first it's a romanticized gothic castle but then the weirdness and creep creepy shit just starts seeping mm -hmm. through the melancholy of this lord Strat van zarovich comes through right because he is exactly. not a happy lord he is not happy with the situation he is melancholic he's depressed and that is going to reflect in his lair when, when he has a new adventurers come in that try to do something about it yeah he's going to greet them in a normal way not letting them in but when they then are inside they're going to see that it's all way deeper than they thought. I have a question for you. One last final question, and that is: yeah. What is the what has been your favorite layer ever? It doesn't have to be the one that you've created. It can be something someone else created, or even something that you've just imagined from after playing a video game, and you want that type of layer in your game. Actually, the one thing that I still want to run yeah. at some point is this classic theater thing, mm. but with a big fucking theater. A Big old chunker. Mm. Just basically yeah. um, a, with a gin type of villain. A complete maniac that wasn't one 
before. Yeah. The artistic maniac. Amazing thing. And then villain, let's call him just Jin for sakes of... League of Legends, by the way, for those who don't know. Uh, Just playing with the music, the atmosphere around it, using everything that Mm. theater has to offer to invoke weird feelings of dread and hope at the same time. And using smoke and mirrors to seem somewhere where they aren't and therefore tricking them, moving the characters around the uh, or through the whole theater, basically as in a haunted house ride, just showing the whole history of this play and just enveloped in this grand theatrical play broken down into acts. Th- that yeah. is something that I want to run so badly, but I haven't found a way to really create that and reflect that or uh-huh. or in a way that I am able to do yet. I still have to work on that, but I want to run that <laughs> so fucking badly. I understand you. I understand you. But let me throw that back to you. Tell me about your favorite I have layer. written down a bunch of random notes uh, in one of my note-taking apps about a mushroom myconate sovereign type of layer. Okay. Where there is this hive mind of not just creatures, but also the walls around you are part of that hive mind, right? Yeah. Every single step you take is perfectly recorded by the entire network. If you stand too long, those mushroom spores are gonna be affecting you. Those mushrooms are gonna start burrowing through your skin when you're too long in this place. And if you find yourself lost, well, good luck not becoming part of the colony itself. Mm. The the layer isn't just, doesn't just have a villain. The layer itself is your villain. And since you've entered, you've already lost in quotation marks. It's going to start showing you hallucinatory situations and scenarios, enemies that you think are there that aren't. And the question is just, when are you able to escape, if even? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's the shit. kind of fucked up shit I want to do. It's, it's just amazing. Fucked up shit is the... <laughs> is, 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 I love it. I love fucked up shit in TTRPGs. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's a place where we can explore these fucked up shits safely. And that's, exactly. that's, exactly. that's a cool thing. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So, the, I don't have anything else. If you people out there have a favorite layer, add us on Twitter. <laughs> Send <laughs> yeah. us your favorite layers that uh, you want to run or have run. Or maybe just use the Spotify in uh, in app feature to give us feedback on this episode and put your favorite layer in that. Perfect. And with that, thank you all for listening and hear you on the next one. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Double DM. It appears you liked this one. What we had to say and our advice helped you. Why not show us how we helped you in a rating or even write a review detailing us how we helped? You can do this on the platform that you are listening on right now. It's just a few clicks, doesn't take long, and helps us out. It gets us out there and our advice into more ears of more people. Thanks again for listening and joining us on this amazing journey. Have a great day and see you on the next one. Bye-bye.